VR training platforms like the one developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International are helping surgeons train over and over before operating on real patients. As you practice each skill, the muscle memory starts to develop. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Where's the co-pilot? Repeat, where is the co-pilot? This is a two-man podcast. There is no co-pilot. Repeat, there is no co-pilot. Do you read? I'm the navigator. I don't know how to fly this thing. Navigator, pull yourself together. You're the only one left to fly this thing. Repeat, pull yourself together. Go Steelers! Go Steelers! Say go Steelers! Go Steelers! Steelers All Post Podcast, a proud member of the Armchair All Americans Network. It's July 7, 2019. This is Tom from the Washington, D.C. Outpost, and unfortunately, Nick does not join us from the Houston Outpost. We had an unbelievable week in uh, Rehoboth Beach, Delaware, and it's our annual family pilgrimage. But Nick either did not wash his hands on the way home or he had some bad sushi last night because he is totally out of commission. And as you know, Nick has done this for 98 straight episodes because this is episode 99 and I am left to fly on my own. Now, you know, we had a glorious week at the beach. I have to say it's my favorite time of the year and we had seven straight days of cloudless skies. The temperatures were in the 80s. We made it down to the beach. My routine is to get there sometime after lunch, after having read the paper, answered a few emails, sit down in the chair read a little bit while the ladies rotated one degree every 12 minutes to make sure that they were directly in the sun. At some point, Nick would give me the signal and we'd go back on the beach with the football and we'd have a father-son toss and we'd talk about ideas for the podcast. So one of our brainstorms was to come up with an Instagram post and I'd like to encourage you to go to Steelers Outpost and check out what we did. We spent quite a few hours uh, no, no, no lives are lost in the making of this video, but it was really important for us to get out a story. It's a true story. Back in the mid-aughts, we felt that we were personally responsible for a five-game slide that the Steelers experienced because we may have misplaced the, the terrible towel. We didn't place it correctly in the living room, and we felt responsible for that. So for the last decade, our, Steeler, our terrible towel has been hidden in a box in the bowels of a laundry room, never to be seen again. And now after a decade of missing the Super Bowl, we felt we needed to do something more extreme. So please check out the Instagram video. You'll see what our solution was. We'd like your feedback. Uh, We know we we may be opening ourselves to some criticism, but we felt it was necessary. And we are convinced that 2019 is the year where we will bring home our seventh Lombardi Trophy. Now, I have never done this podcast on my own, and normally I don't, uh, I don't imbibe on a Sunday afternoon while I'm doing these podcasts, but today is an exception because I am on my own, and I won't make this long because Nick is the talent on this show. I have basically just turned the dials, produced the show, and pushed it out to you guys. So I do have something I wanted to share. 
at the beach. I think I mentioned last week that I'm reading this book called The Last Headbangers by Kevin Cook. And it talks about NFL football in the rowdy, reckless 70s, an era that created modern sports. And unless, you know, I'm, I'm 58, I'm, I'm from that era. I, I watched the four Super Bowls, probably didn't understand what was going on in front of me or the legacy was being born. But it's given me a source of pride, probably like it has for you if you're listening to this podcast. But when you dig into the statistics and you look at what was going on in football at that time, it's pretty amazing because our expectations have changed so drastically. Do you remember that the Steelers beat the Minnesota Vikings 16-6? to The Steelers were 13-3-1 at that time. And I look at these statistics. They're amazing. So Fran Tarkington was the opposing quarterback. He was 11 for 26 for 102 yards. He had three interceptions. Guess who made one of those interceptions? Joe Green. And you'll see this deflection by Dwight right into uh, Joe Green's hands. It was crazy. Terry Bradshaw was 9 for 14 for 96 yards with one touchdown. The So as far as rushing goes, Chuck Foreman was the Vikings running back. He had 18 yards, and one he got 12 on one of them. So for 11 carries, he had a total of six yards. Franco Harris was 34 attempts for 158 yards. Rocky Blyer had 65 yards. So you can see the domination was all on the ground. I guess my point is, it is this book has taught me that it is impossible to compare eras. There was an article that Elliot Harrison just wrote on July 2nd on the NFL News Network, top 25 quarterbacks of all time. I'm not going to give this guy crap. It's just fun, right? This is what we do. This is why we're on the air. But he tried to rank, and he actually went down to 25 quarterbacks, and he tried to rank them. Fran Tarkington, by the way, is number 23, and we know that it's impossible. These guys work in such different eras, and the rules have changed over the time, but you may be interested to know if you look up this um, if you look up this article. Ben Roethlisberger is number nineteen, and he said that Ben is the most difficult guy on this list to rate. He has at times played brilliantly. He's led the NFL in passing in two thousand eighteen. He's a pocket passer with a rating of ninety eight. On the merits alone, he should probably go higher than nineteen. Then again, has Ben ever been the number one or two quarterback at, at his position? Depending on the year. So he's had two quarterbacks. There is a question about his leadership capabilities as compared to Terry Bradshaw. Surprisingly, Ben comes in at 19, Terry comes in at 17. And if you read this description, they say that if you consider his regular season work alone, you wouldn't think he was uh, he was anything special. But from 1977 until 1982, he was incredibly effective. Uh, Do you recall, if you're our age, he shrugged off all these injuries and he played for Chuck Knoll, who was not a warm and fuzzy guy. And Terry needed warm and fuzzy. It's it's the reason he doesn't come back to Pittsburgh anymore. But when it came to the big games, Bradshaw performed. I mean, Ben's had his struggles in Super Bowls, but Terry absolutely performed in his four Super Bowls. And that's where he's shown he shone, shined, sorry. And he's been, uh, he's been a lot of crap, but I still love to watch him. He, he really translated well into the broadcast booth. 
But if you tried to compare Ben to Terry, I mean, there is no real good comparison. I did look at their stats. If you, I guess the only the best way to look at this is relative to the, to the quarterback class. And what was interesting, I did a query. If you looked at the quarterbacks during Ben's time from 2004 to 2018, 15 season, I cut it down to anybody who's, who's played at least 150 games. There were 13 quarterbacks who have played 150 games. You know how many people played 150 games during Terry's, Terry's era? Like four. So I had to drop that. I had to find guys who played at least 100 games in Terry Bradshaw's era. And you know why? Because the rules were so different. These quarterbacks were brutalized. Does anybody remember an October 17, 1976 game against the Cincinnati Bengals when Joe Turkey Jones pile-drives Terry into the turf, giving him a spinal contusion? Terry bounced. Terry Bat missed exactly one game because of that. Interestingly, in that game, Ken Anderson threw for 129 yards. Mike Cruzic came in and threw for 58 Guess who ran for 143 yards? Franco. And the Steelers won that game. That should feel a little, little for Schottenfreude, 23 to 6. But I'm telling you, get this book and read it. You will realize where I'm sure the guys who play today would have been as tough then as they are today. But you're playing on asphalt. You're playing on green spray-painted asphalt. And you're not getting paid anything. At that time, the average quarterback was making $90,000, running backs $60,000, defensive backs $47,000. These guys were getting paid a pittance compared to what the NFL was generating at that time. You know, what's worse is that in the 80s, 10 years after this era, pensions got boosted up to $4,200 a month, which is still a third of what a 10-year Major League Baseball player received. And it's interesting that the the NFL created a legacy fund in 2011 and added $600 million to it. And it sounds like a lot until you actually figure out that when you average it out, it's about 520 bucks a month. I can't uh, help believe that these guys, these old these old players have to be out of their minds about the inequity, but that's that's the way it is. Some of you may remember Conrad Dobler, who spent his first six years at the, uh, with the St. Louis Cardinals. Later, he's traded to the Saints and the Bills. But Sports Illustrated had a cover story on him as the dirtiest player ever. But this guy actually had nine knee replacements, nine knee replacements and other surgeries. He was disabled, obviously, but unable to gain disability assistance from the NFL. And I have no love loss for this guy, but it just tells you that there were, these guys were just flotsam and jetsam, just pawns in the game. So I'm no socialist communist, but I do think it's amazing how these players pre-'80s, actually, they're all very tough, but let's face it, they got no money until the 80s, and they played through these things. They sold insurance in the offseason, it's just hard to imagine that today's players are tougher than what came before them. As I said, if these guys were in the same situation, I'm sure they'd be as tough because who can put themselves out there? What wide receiver can go across the middle, get hit time and time again, and then go out and try it again? These guys are in a different stratosphere. They have a different mindset. They have a different, different competitive nature. 
but it's something I respect, and it's the reason one of the reasons I watch the NFL week after week. So I'll go back to my original premise. We're just comparing Terry Bradshaw to Ben Roethlisberger. I don't know how to do it other than compare them to their contemporaries. And the, as Nick has always points out, and I agree, these things are so nuanced, whether what your passing percentage is. When you, when you look at uh, when the NFL flexed, it's the Bill Walsh and Joe Montana. And Joe Montana was highly criticized as a guy who was kind of a sissy and a dink, and this is where dink and dunk was developed. But obviously highly effective and adopted by the NFL, and we see the benefits of that today. The multiple rule changes where the Mel Blunt rule was imposed, where they were only allowed to chuck them once, and then the rule was changed again. You can only chuck them once within five yards. That gave the advantage to the offense. So these things are all relative to their time and space. What were the rules in effect? But uh, again, I would compare them to their contemporaries. And like I said, so there are plenty of comparisons for Ben Roethlisberger. A lot of guys have made it to 13, 14, 15 seasons. Ben, uh, so Drew Brees, Tom Brady, Philip Rivers, and Ben and Eli Manning are 15-year guys. As far as completion percentage goes, it's all Drew Brees, 68%. Ben is at 64. These are sort of marginal numbers, and it depends on your it depends on your offensive strategy, obviously. But Ben has 47,000. I'm sorry, 56,000 yards. He's up there. He's with the rest of the guys, and so is Terry. Frankly, Terry had a miserable, if you think about it in modern terms, miserable completion percentage with 52 percent. But he had 28,000 yards, which ranked him fifth among quarterbacks at that time. Only behind Ken Anderson, if you can believe it, Dan and Dan Fouts, sort of the uh, protege of, of Bill Walsh. And after that, Jim Hart, if you can remember Jim Hart of the Cardinals. But I think it's interesting to, if we can to sort of fish into the yards per attempt. Ben, 7.9, puts him in the middle of the pack. And Terry Bradshaw was at 7.2. If we're looking at yards per game, Terry Bradshaw was competing against Dan Fouts. Terry had 167 yards passing per game. Fouts exceeded everybody by a lot, 230 yards. His next, his closest competitor was Fran Tarkington over that over that time period. And as far as Ben goes, he's kind of in the middle of the pack at 260 yards per game. He's competing with Drew Brees, who has 290 yards per game. As but let's recognize what offense Drew Brees is playing in. Ultimately, it's wins and losses, isn't it? And leadership. I'm not sure how you measure leadership, but Ben won, has won 67% of the games he started, as has Terry Bradshaw. And then I guess we can look at Super Bowls. Terry is 4 for 4 in Super Bowls, and Ben is 2 for 3. So as far as average yards per game goes, Terry's at 233, Ben is at 214. Sort of a sort of a wash there. But Terry Bradshaw had nine touchdowns in his four games. Ben had three. And I'm not sure how to how to evaluate this, except to say that Terry's average quarterback rating was one one hundred and thirteen compared to Ben's sixty-four. So we all know Ben didn't have spectacular Super Bowls. But one game does not a quarterback make. Ben Roethlisberger 
not unlike Terry Bradshaw, had to do some carrying of the team to get them to the Super Bowl. So I think it's a uh, it's it's fun. It's interesting. It's meaningless. You can't compare two eras, especially when you consider that linemen were 250 pounds back then and the rules were completely different. But we're very lucky to have had such great quarterbacks to look at over the years. And we're still lucky to have a Super Bowl-ready quarterback because I am convinced now that Nick and I have buried our cursed, terrible towel at sea that the Super Bowl is just months away from our grasp. And once again, we'll be holding the Lombardi Trophy aloft at PNC Stadium. And I'm very confident in that prognostication. It's hard to believe, but football is back, and the NFL preseason kicks off with the Hall of Fame game on August 1st. And soon, we will have regular season NFL and college football. That means it's time to make an account at the best online sports book known to man ever including the caveman who had a very good system. That's right, I am talking about my bookie. I am by no means a troglodyte when it comes to technology, but in fact, I am not as facile in the social media aspects as some of uh, our listeners are, including Nicholas. But I, was, uh, I found my bookie very easy to use. It's a no-hassle mobile site. There's 24-7 customer service, and you can bet on every sport and prop mat- imaginable. MyBookie provides a fun, safe betting experience. Maybe you think Drew Brees and the Saints are going to get their revenge for the terrible blown call last year. Maybe you think Tom Brady (coughs) and the Patriots will win an unbelievable seventh Super Bowl. Hardly. Why not make money when your predictions come true? And if you deposit today, MyBookie will give you a 50% deposit bonus. That's right. You put in $100 and they'll give you 50. That's 50%. You put in a thousand, they'll give you five hundred dollars. It's that easy. Football weekends are the best, but they're even more thrilling when every touchdown can win you more money. So go to mybookie.ag and sign up today with promo code Outpost25. Hit mybookie, you play, you win, you get paid. This is not my natural milieu. I am the guy who pushes the buttons and pushes the podcast out. Nick gets over whatever bug he has acquired, either through his travel or through whatever cuisine he chose this weekend, because next weekend is a big day for us. It is our 100th episode straight. We have not missed a week, and we even plugged this weekend with me, so we will do anything to keep this thing going because we love the conversation with you. Check us out on Instagram at Steelers Outpost. We put a lot of work into this video. Uh, we got a lot of hits so, so far. We'd love to get your feedback on it. Also, hit us up on Twitter at Steelers Outpost. Leave us a note on the website at SteelersOutpost.com or shoot us an email at SteelersOutpost at gmail.com. Until next week, thanks for listening. Go Steelers. Okay, bye-bye. Professional welder Shayna Ford used VR training developed by ForgeFX to hone her skills as a welder. The more time that you spend practicing it, that's what separates a good welder from a great welder. VR training can help students like Shayna repeatedly practice specific skills. Virtual reality definitely helps because the more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Explore more stories like Shayna's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact.
As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast.